we learned a new technique to be able to find and attract people that we are trying to find and attract. Uh, and this is simply done on LinkedIn. Basically what you want to do is look around LinkedIn for groups or events that have the type of people in it that you are trying to do business with. For us, that typically is things like masquerade balls and other events. There was a guy recently that that rented out a airplane hangar and then worked with a number of companies that leased out private jets, another guy that leased out very expensive Lamborghinis, Ferraris. So he had this basically this airplane hangar with all of these jets parked right out front of it or outside of it, and then some really nice cars. And of course, this was catered and all of that. And he brought people into that event to be able to try to connect all of them. That was an event that would attract the type of people that we are trying to attract as well. So we went through that list of people that we could tell were there. They were posting because they wanted to show everybody that they were at this event. They were posting and then people were thanking that people for being invited, all of that, right? So you create that list and then you start reaching out to those people individually. And, and when I'm saying reaching out to those people individually, I don't mean reaching out and selling them your stuff, right? Start building this relationship, start dating them before you start doing anything else, right? That means start liking their posts, start commenting on their posts. You want to be able to start getting these people to start seeing you, start showing up in their feed and in their life. And then that rapport starts to build. And then at, at a certain point, then that's when you actually reach out. Too many people go right in right away and try to sell my stuff right away. And it's just, quite honestly, it's annoying. I can't even tell you how many uh, inquiries I get a day on LinkedIn of here, buy my stuff or come look at my thing. I got this new idea, whatever it is, right? Like, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship built with you. Don't be that guy that goes and tries to pitch something without establishing a relationship first. If you're a business owner looking to increase your net worth by investing in real assets, go ahead and head over to investinsquarefeet.com and we'd love to have you in our community. We often explore opportunities together and dive in and determine what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. All right, so today on Invest in Square Feet, we have Ben Albert, and we're going to be talking all things target audience. We're going to be talking about identifying your target audience, how to attract your target audience. If you've been in business for a while, you know how important it is to niche down into a target audience, or maybe you don't. Maybe you've never gone down this path and you're still trying to talk to everyone. It's so much easier when you can target it down into a specific target market. Your marketing becomes so much easier. You can hone in on things and actually talk about specific problems that your target market has. So without further ado, we are going to jump into the show. I just asked that question, you know, who do I want to learn from and who's my target audience? And they're the same person. They're business owners. So I didn't go in trying to monetize the medium, trying to become famous. I went in to get in the door to learn from mentors that would possibly be clients. So you can do this. It doesn't have to be podcasting. It could be live events. 
It could be an online community. It can be an in-person networking group or in-person events. But let's say you're a roofer and you want to create strategic partnerships with plumbers, or let's say you do remodeling and you want someone who does curb appeal. Maybe you create a system where you can have conversations with those people that wouldn't otherwise take your call. And that's really all I did. So still to this day, like, I don't, I'm thinking I've made a tiny amount of money on the podcast, but with the amount I've invested into it, it's still a massive cost center, but it's my number one marketing channel to create conversations with people that I can actually become peers, mentors, and clients a lot of the time. So that's how I did it. It's counter what most people think and most people try to do. Yeah. I'll say that to echo what you're saying there, some of the most powerful words that I've ever found, and this is actually you know, what we do too when we're cold reaching out to somebody is we'll put, I want you on my podcast, right? As a subject line. And that breaks down so many barriers, so many walls that, you know, like you said, you wouldn't normally be able to reach out to these people and get, you know, a response in an email, but you're coming to them with, you're, you're basically acknowledging their success. If somebody's asking me to, to be on their podcast. Like that's, that's amazing, right? I must be doing something right. I'm going to reach back out to that person. I completely agree that the podcast is a great, great tool to be able to spend 45 minutes or an hour worth with someone learning from them and, and, um, you know, hopefully answering your own questions, right? Your own problems that, that, you, are, that you have in your own business or you're struggling with, they're going to ask, you can ask those exact questions from the people that are actually going and, and doing it, right? So can I um, give you a wild realization? Because my podcast is in the top 1% now. I'm being, bringing on bigger guests. The big guests are good for reputation and listenership. The smaller the guest, the more surprised you even asked the more honored they feel, the higher probability of building a closer relationship. So it's sometimes just that person that's never been asked on a podcast before that becomes your mentor, peer, or client. When the bigger the name that everybody wants, they've been on 50 podcasts already this yeah. year, they're not going to become your client. They're not. So it's interesting. It's, it's that person that you send that message I want you to be on my podcast. And they go, whoa, I've never received that message before. Sometimes those are the right people to be talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So talk a little bit about what you talked about, how you've gotten into this new life of yours. What are you doing specifically today? Talk a little bit about that. So I do a lot of things. <laughs> um, lots of categories. I, I joke that I ask questions for a living because that's what I do across the board. So there's the podcast asking questions to get the answers from the people who have it to the people who need it. The marketing firm is to find unique solutions based on the business. When, when I'm working with a thought leader, we're going to talk about podcasting and video and reels and short form content. When I'm talking to a traditional business, like I have an esthetician, have a lot of uh, businesses in real estate. When I'm talking to them, we have a completely different conversation. We're building a website, SEO optimizing it for Google and ensuring they're coming up first. So really depends on the business, but it's all about asking questions to find solutions to sometimes questions we never knew, you know, an answers we never knew we had some of the time. Yeah. What, what are some of those uh, unique things that you would say that you learned or you 
were able to solve for people? Does anything come to mind like, wow, I didn't realize that was a thing or didn't realize that I, I could help in that area? Well, what stood out to me, first off, I don't recommend people do this. I started a business and I just needed clients. So I took on anybody I didn't niche down. You're better off niching down. That being said, one of my first clients was an esthetician. I did not know what an esthetician was. Mm -hmm. I still have never been to an esthetician myself. My girlfriend goes, I buy her gift cards and stuff, but it's skincare and different, you know, body contouring and those kind of products. What I learned is if you study the industry and you follow the fundamentals, not in every case, but in most cases, it's pretty darn consistent. Don't try too hard to be to like do too much. Monkey say, monkey do. I was able to like double X my esthetician's traffic quickly just using basic marketing principles. And that's why I say like, don't do what I said, because if I find a niche and I perfect it and those principles work, maybe esthetician's my niche, you can just continue to be feeding those clients and build your business very naturally in that way. For example, if you're too cheap, I think people need to raise their prices, know what kind of regions they want to work in. This is like for a contractor, know what regions you want to get business in, focus on optimizing for that location, running ads to that location. Where like in my previous firm, I can't talk about the specifics, but we had clients that were in the ghetto that would go to the nicest suburbs and offer slightly less price, but do just as good of a job. And they were flooded with business when if they continue to work in their ghetto, it, they wouldn't be able to build that business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So look outside of your regular circle just around you and who else can you impact? What are some of those things that you found today? We've talked about the the podcast and the, so have you heard of uh, uh, Alex Hermosi? Oh yeah. You know him? Yeah. Yeah, of course. He's like so, a modern day marketing prophet and right, exactly. it's tongue in cheek, but like, I don't think I disagree with, I, I agree I, about 2% I disagree with almost everything that comes out of his mouth is gold. Yeah. It's, it, go it's amazing. And as you were, as you were talking about that, um, he, he popped into my head and I, I, I don't remember if this is a podcast. I think this was a podcast episode that he did a while ago about, how you can become, you know, a rainmaker essentially. Mm -hmm. And for him, it was gyms, right? He's, you know, big on working out in that. And so he said that he's, he's basically lost all of his money twice. And this is what he did when he lost his money, right? Or essentially what you just said too, where I went out and I generated a system that I could get um, leads into gyms and have them sign up for memberships and personal training and all of that and supplements. Um, so that's how he was able to, to do that. And, and you said that you would want to niche down and whether it's anestheticians or whatever it is, just basically be that rainmaker for that particular industry. What is it that you found as being the low hanging fruit or the best way to be able to, you know, generate those leads? And is it different on a, on a business by business basis? Are there different strategies or techniques? Or like you said before, is it pretty well the same types of things? Obviously you have to study the industry and talk to whoever that, you know, whoever that consumer is, but are the, the techniques, the actual tactical processes, are they pretty well same across the board? 
It's both. So, I mean, of course, it's going to be different based on industry. If someone does e-commerce, which I don't touch, I'm not good at e-commerce marketing. They do e-commerce. If they're a speaker that works and travels, a local business like being found on Google locally is not doesn't really matter to them. They're international, they're national. So then it gets very industry specific. But if you want to be found locally, it's actually pretty consistent across the board. And it's sometimes not trying to generate more leads. It's why do you keep losing leads? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people lose leads because what's their best form of business? It's, it's word of mouth. Yeah. And what does everybody have in their pocket nowadays? A phone. So when I tell Matt to call Mark and Matt Googles Mark, he doesn't come up. Even worse, it's the wrong phone number. It says permanently closed. Or maybe he finds Mark, clicks on the link, and the website you know, looks like it was made by a teenager five years ago. Would we show up to the job in our pajama pants? Why are we showing up online in our pajama pants? So we're not even talking about generating leads. We're talking about why are we missing out on the people that are trying to call us. So you need to show up on Google with a Google business profile. It's totally free. You need the information updated. You want to be posting on it. You can post on Google like a social media platform. You want to be posting on it regularly. And when someone clicks to the website, you want the website to properly represent what you do and don't try hard, too hard to do too much. Like someone's looking you up on Google. They just kind of want to get to the point and call you. I've seen websites where the contact form doesn't work. So who knows how many leads we lost because they type in the contact form and it goes to nowhere land. So that stuff's basic across the board, every industry, and then style, words, where I'm going to allocate my time, what social media platform. That's going to change. But what's your first impression online? That's never going to change. When someone looks you up, do you have prime real estate that looks nice? Or do you look like you're showing up in your pajama pants? And unfortunately, a lot of people look like they're in their pajama pants. That's just my opinion. Yeah, that's a great analogy too. I like that way of looking at how you are showing up there, right? So showing up on Google, you know, that's, that's, obviously one of those things think of like a roofer again is it is it creating content up on a roof and oh you know if you have this type of thing you should be looking for this or if you've got these types of shingles these are no good or you don't have to replace your roof if you see this don't worry like is that the type of content that is is most valuable or what's what does that look like today you did nail it um people like empathy and people like to see the process So taking, it seems cheesy, but taking a selfie and posting it is going to do way better than your promotional ad. You could even post a selfie and said, had a great day, 20% off because I'm in the mood. That's going to do better than a complex promotional ad. One thing I love about my esthetician client is she takes before and afters. One thing that I find a lot, this is literally the thing that grinds my gears more than anything because I can only do so much without being there physically with them, is taking 
pictures of your team members, taking before and afters, taking progress pics, taking a short video. Buddy of mine, Colin the Plumber, does a great job of this. He'll install a whole new HVAC unit or do a big, you know, install of some sort. And he'll just keep his phone recording the whole time and then do a stop motion video where you see what takes eight hours in about 45 seconds. He didn't do anything but click record on his phone and not look like an idiot while he was working. Even if he looked like an idiot and moved so fast, he probably couldn't tell. But you nailed it. Like the best thing you can do is document the process, be an educator. Um, it's difficult to get people to do that. But if you do that, you're like immediately in the top 10% just by taking that step. And And – what about things like hashtags and all of those types of things, right? Are we still, are hashtags still important? And if you have a specific hashtag that you're trying to be known for, like, how do you, how do you get all of that established? Like, what's the process in, do you just jump on the bandwagon, bandwagon of all the other ones? Or if you have something that might be unique, how do you go about starting that? It's a really good question. And each platform's algorithm operates a little bit differently. I do recommend to have a branded hashtag because even if you start it today, you know, and invest in SQFT, even if you start it today and your brand doesn't blow up for three, five, 10 years, um, you've kind of created a branded hashtag there. With all the other hashtags, I'm going to admit I'm not the perfect expert because every uh, platform is going to be different. But what can't replace hashtags um, is, or what hashtags cannot replace is quality content. It's no longer like back in the day, you could keyword stuff and a lot of SEO was just keyword stuffing pages. It's the quality of the content that's king. So when you post something, good hashtags or not, it's going to spread it around a data set of people based on who they think would even be interested. And when the algorithm spreads it around this data set of people, if no one engages, you get muted. And they didn't engage because the reason they didn't engage wasn't because you didn't have the right hashtags. It was the quality of your content. So nowadays, I'm going to be honest with you. I'll take a description and prompt chat GPT to give me some hashtags. It does not make or break my process. Really, the most important part is the quality of the content. And when the content's really good, because the algorithm's never been more annoying, when the content's really good, you might pay for ads to get that to even more people, knowing that the data set already told you that they like it, then you can actually pay to reach more people with it. Hope that all how makes sense. We're getting you, kind of technical. Yeah, no, I'm curious. How do you know when you have good content? And I'm going to preface this with, saying that maybe you don't have very many followers. You normally don't have very much interaction or anything like that. Maybe you get a couple of likes, 10 likes, something like that. Um, and then you have a piece of content that gets a little bit more than that. Maybe it's 15, 20 likes. It's doubling yours, but it's still not a huge number, right? How do you know like when you should, when you should boost things or when you should uh, spend some advertising dollars to be able to promote that? And I, I guess... Is it also a process where before you post it that you're going to boost it um, or, or promote it or whatever? Um, or is it only after it's made some type of mark uh, that you would actually go and spend money on promoting it? You know, it depends on your budget. I, I wholeheartedly believe 
that if you have the budget in it, boost every post by like $10, get a very small data set, and then just look at what was working. And then based on what works, you could boost that more or create more content. Because from my experience, before and after is just kill it. Specifically, I keep going to the esthetician, but like in the beauty industry, they don't let you post before and afters and boost it on Facebook because it's so darn persuasive that they think it could be manipulative. Someone has a six pack in six weeks kind of thing could be manipulative. Before and afters are so compelling. Um, photos of the team are compelling, but you can boost some content. You could let it go organic, or you could boost a ton of content. This is something like Alex Hermosi would do. He also has a really big, you know, budget. He'll boost 20 ads. And then based on what performs well, he'll take that ad and create five versions of the same ad that won, and then boost all five of those. Then by the end of it, he has his final product and he's in a scenario he'll take that final product and put a hundred K into it, but not until he uses a ton of boosting and a ton of data to determine again, he does, let's see, he does 20 and comes to a one. He'll still turn that one into three or five more mm -hmm. to make sure that he gets the best one. So there's a lot of strategy that can go back into it. Um, it yeah. depends on budget. And it depends on listening to the customer. At the core, the message is we got to stop pretending we know what they want. We need to ask them what they want. What about you know, like duplicating? Like you said, you're going to take that one ad and then make it five other ways. Is there a um, some type of a framework or something like that that you can use to be able to explain that better? Because again, I'm thinking of the roofing analogy, right? So I'm up on the roof and talking about this shingle or why why this is better than this one. Taking that piece of content and then reframing that into five different ways. Um, like I'm not quite sure I understand how to repurpose that content into five other things. Is it like cutting it up into smaller chunks or like, what, is, what does that look like when you're, when you're repurposing or re remaking content into something else that can be utilized? You know, sometimes it's just one line. Um, I'm smart enough that I build teams and I don't do this kind of pay-per-click for my clients. I outsource it to people that are better at this. But what yep. they'll do is they'll maybe change the colors, change the font, or just change a line. It could start with, did you know roofing versus sink shingles? And then you might change it to why shingles suck. Mm -hmm. And then the rest could be the same. It's just... Again, just changing little pieces. It's amazing how the biggest difference, like roofer approved versus all roofers agree. It's kind of the same thing. I can't tell you which one's going to do better. I think they'll both do decent. But again, it's in the weeds. It's where you want to hire a specialist that that's all they do. But sometimes it's one line. It, it, Tim Ferriss did this with book covers. This is Tim Ferriss's story. But when he did the four-hour work week way before this was even like marketing was this big of a thing, this is like the dumbest idea and the best idea. He <laughs> printed multiple copies of covers and he sat at a bookstore 
and he would put and he would see which covers got people's attention. So he would put his book on the bookshelf and see what kind of eyeballs it got. And once he found the book that got the most eyeballs, <laughs> he put money into it. We can do that at scale now. We don't have to show up at a bookstore with a book. We can do that at scale. But again, yeah, it's little details that you never would have imagined could be the difference between a $25,000 profit and a $250,000 profit. Yeah. I, hire, so hire a specialist though, man. Yeah. Hire a specialist because I can talk theory, but it's difficult. It's hard for someone just to sit in a chair and do it properly. Yeah. And I, I feel like this is another one of those times when um, you need to know what you don't know and know mm. when you should be hiring out somebody else to do it, right? We, I'm sure we could all figure out how to make the little shifts and the little tweaks and changing the fonts and all of that. But is your time best used? trying to sit and figure that all out and, and work on that one thing? Or is your time better used to go out and create more content that can be repurposed again, right? So know what you don't know and let that go and don't try to figure it out on your own and, you know, do all the work yourself, you know? Yeah, and, and, and things can be simple. So if you have a process and you send someone a survey and you get survey data, Maybe you change your process or do a different process in a different market, get surveys from there. Like it doesn't have to be this complex inner web algorithm. It's just maybe on a sales call with a client, you just use a different closing question with them and try new things. That to me, it's just exciting to try new things. Like I just like to try different stuff. Yeah, that's cool. What about, um, do you prefer any platform more than another one? Is there one that seems to work better or any feedback or anything there? Or just knowing where your customers are at too, knowing that the, the people that you're trying to reach are on this platform versus that platform. How, what does that look like? If I'm, if I'm Led Zeppelin, am I going to show up at a, a three-year-old party that the... I, I, terrible example because it would be a terrible decision. I'm going to show up at a big stadium with a bunch of Led Zeppelin fans. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how well you talk. It doesn't matter how good your product is. It doesn't matter how great your ad is. If you're talking to the wrong person, you might as well just be talking to yourself. So that is the answer to the question. Who's your audience? Where does your audience spend the most time? Spend your time there. And, and how do you find that out? How do you, how do you go about determining that my audience is on Instagram more than what they're on Facebook or vice versa, or they're more on LinkedIn or how do you go about finding out the best, the best place to use? And actually, do you also advise just keeping it in one area or do you, do you still go and post everywhere? You know, and there's different tools and whatnot. So is it best to be able to post everywhere if you can? Um, but really focusing in on you know one one specific yeah. uh, platform. There, there's a few questions there. It depends on budget, but I do believe in omnipresence. I'm the kind of person that I want to hang out where you are, regardless. Um, but the best way to find out, I mean, there's a couple different ways. We're in the 2020s right now. 
you can just look up demographic data and there might be industry data already available to you online. The easiest way is just to ask your customers. I can't believe how many people don't ask their customers, where did you find me? And just asking that question, they'll tell you where they found you. And then once you make that customer happy, you ask them, who else do you know that has the similar problem that you just had that I could possibly help? I'd love to serve them. And then you get referrals. But it's like, you just ask your customers. And if you're posting everywhere and everyone's finding you on Facebook, maybe you don't use TikTok. Maybe TikTok gets you lots of likes, but since you're only working locally, not enough people are finding you locally to make it worth your time. They're all finding you on Google. Let's invest my time on building an SEO for Google. So it super depends. But the, again, I, I feel like this stuff's way too simple. You can ask your people, where did you find me? <laughs> and that's a good place to start. If you, if you were in a situation where you needed to generate additional people, additional customers, what what have you found is the best way to be able to you know start to establish those relationships or start to establish those connections as quickly as possible any any thoughts there yeah so first off i'm a firm believer that you should dig the well before you're thirsty and when i hear need i'm like you've already missed out like your well is already dry now you have to go hunting so that's a concern so you always want to be funneling opportunities planting seeds helping people as you go because when you're in a place of need there's a high probability you'll be in a place of neediness and you'll turn people off so the first thing i want to say is try not to find yourself in that position at all um i kind of did mine slow and steady with the podcast, but I was doing a couple things. And, and the number one suggestion, I don't think anyone's going to expect this, is I would cold call. If I need business, I'm making 200 phone calls a day. If I need business, I don't have never done this myself, but certain industries, solar is a great example. I'm knocking on every single door and saying, Matt down the street just got, we just found that Matt down the street had XYZ problem. I actually drew out a map to show you what the solar panels would look like on your house. Um, is this something that we could look at? Or let's say a roofer, you could be like, when's the last time you had your gutters cleaned? You could go up and clean their gutters for free. And when you're up there, you're going to notice an issue with their roof. You might have even noticed it from the curb. But you got to just start talking to people. The more hands you shake, the more money you're going to make. Don't put yourself in that place of need. I'd rather if I was at a large company, I'm a small firm. If I was a large company, I'd be doing both. I'd have so much opportunity that I don't give two craps, but I'd still have people knocking on doors and cold calling, because that's how I would know the opportunity would never go away. I hope those suggestions make sense. It depends on the uh, industry. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of that too can also be if you're in a position where you're starting something new or that that's a great way to be able to get things off the ground very, very quickly. I mean, if you're making 200 phone calls a day, thousand, a thousand phone calls a week, even if you're only converting a few percentage there, that's, that's a great way to be able to look at it. So it's, it's better than sitting around and twiddling your thumbs or yeah, feeling wait, sorry wait about yourself. 
Yeah. A lot exactly. of people sit around and see, feel sorry about themselves. I mean, your next opportunity could just be one message away, one door knock away, one phone call away. Um, we just need to be man, lady. We need to be ambitious enough to just do it. All right. So we just heard from Ben. If you want to learn more from Ben or his connections, go ahead and reach out to Rochester Business Connections. That's a podcast and you can find that podcast wherever you have found this podcast. And as always, remember to like and subscribe to Invest in Square Feet. It helps us out a great deal. If you are a business owner looking to grow your net worth by investing in real assets, go ahead and check out investinsquarefeet.com and join our community where we often dive into investment opportunities of various sorts and identify why they work and why they might not work.